doctors don't have a clear understanding of it. It started opening up my mind to like, how does the human body work? This is a real thing that really affects people. This is a major pain. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Favor about Herb's palsy. According to the Cleveland Clinic, Herb's palsy is muscle weakness in the arm or shoulder that can occur as a result of an injury sustained during birth or later in life. It's most common in infants who injured their shoulders during delivery. And that's exactly what happened to Favor. She had an injury during delivery, which caused her right arm to be nearly paralyzed at birth. Favor lives in Trinidad, and when she was a child, she took a trip to Canada to have a special surgery done that actually gave her some mobility back in her right arm. But ever since that surgery, she's been experiencing chronic pain. This is one of those catch-22s that people in chronic health conditions often find themselves, where some sort of surgery or procedure can have positive impact, but also leave a permanent negative impact behind. But Favor is an amazing young woman with an incredible attitude who had some really great things to say about living with that trade-off. And not just that, but also being born uh, with an injury that had permanent repercussions on her life. The way she looks at all of these things was really wonderful, and I'm very excited to share it with you. I was also super interested to learn a little bit about living in Trinidad and the healthcare system there, learning how they've been affected by COVID because this is a worldwide health crisis uh, and just getting a sense of life in a part of the world that I've never been was a real joy and Favor just did a wonderful job. While we recorded this episode, there was a party going on next door where Favor was located. So there's a little bit of background noise, and we also didn't have the cleanest audio connection, uh, but I did my absolute best to clean up the audio as best as possible. And the content of this episode is so great that I think that it absolutely overcomes any of the issues in the audio quality. And as always, I'll remind you that Favor and myself are not medical professionals, so please do not take any medical action based off of what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. Since we're right in the midst of the holiday season, and this will be the last episode of 2021, I wanted to choose a conversation that that's felt like it fit the season, and Favor's warmth and positivity really comes across in this episode, and it just felt like the perfect conversation to share uh, in this time of the holiday season when people are gathering and celebrating. So um, it's a really great episode. I'm so excited to share, and we'll get to it in just a couple minutes. I do want to express my gratitude for all of you who listen to this show. This has been an incredible thing in my life in 2021. You know, one of the absolute best things that's happened to me all year was the community that we are building here on the podcast. I appreciate it so much. I feel so different this year about my chronic illness than I did last year. Just having having this thing, you know, having this thing that we're building to be at the center of it as the host of this show, it just really feels incredible. You know, it feels like I have this little pocket of joy in my in my back pocket that I can think about whenever I'm feeling down or when I'm having a rough health day. Just thinking about all of you who listen to this show and the people who have reached out and told me that it's having a positive impact in their lives, it just really changes how I feel about what I'm going through because it adds a sense of purpose and meaning to my life that is so, so valuable and it's just so very appreciated. So thank you all so much for listening to this show. And I also have to say a heartfelt thank you to Brooke, who sent me a holiday message and gift that was so, so meaningful and touching. So, uh, Brooke, I'm always thinking of you. I know you're going through a lot of hard health stuff right now, um, but I'm really just wishing the best for you. And you're such a valued member of this community. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Brooke. 
I got a really lovely email from Emily that I wanted to share with you. It says, I've been a devoted listener to your podcast since finding you through a TikTok of Maya, I'm a roll with it, in the summer. I wanted to reach out for a while now, but I've been a bit shy, and I think I'm still finding my disabled voice in some ways. I just wanted to thank you for all of your work on your podcast. I felt incredibly isolated in my chronic illness slash disability journey, especially because I, like you, am struggling to find a diagnosis. Being able to put your show on when I'm really hungry for some community and hearing shared experience has meant so much to me. I've noticed that it can be really difficult to find in-person community, so I think that you've created a solution to this that's different and just really warm and lovely. Emily's email goes on to tell us a little bit about her personal situation, but I'm excited to say that we've actually scheduled a time to record and talk to Emily on the show in person. So I'll let her tell you about her situation uh, when she comes on the show, which is actually scheduled in February because I'm still booked out about a month in advance. I have several episodes already recorded and a bunch booked up for the next month. So a lot is happening on this show I'm so excited about, and I love hearing from people like Emily um, for whom the show is making a positive difference. So Emily, thank you so much for reaching out. I'm so excited to chat with you uh, in about a month's time. Last week on the show, we discussed mild traumatic brain injury with Andrew. And interestingly, NPR actually released an article on this very subject uh, the same week that this podcast came out. Two people actually sent this article to me. So thank you, Carrie, and also Andrew himself, the person we interviewed last week, sent me this article. The article is from NPR, and it's called Everyday People Fear They Have CTE. A dubious market has sprung up to treat them. CTE stands for Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy. The article talks a lot about how this is a big issue among NFL players. And this is another, another name for what we were talking about last week. Repeated concussions, repeated blows to the head that can have a cumulative effect. This article talks a lot about the Amen Clinic, which we also talked about last week. And I did mention the controversy last week over the uh, diagnostic criteria and treatment plans of the Amen Clinic. And this article goes into that controversy uh, quite a bit. So if you want to learn more about that, you can search out that article on NPR. And if you search for NPR CTE, that article is the first thing that pops up on Google. You know, I'm always talking about wanting this podcast to provide as much good with as little harm as possible. So I appreciate Andrew and Carrie sending me this article just to mention it on the show. Um, you know, I'm overjoyed that Andrew had a great experience at the Amen Clinic, and he really feels like it was a life-saving event, and I'm excited to share that story. And I feel that it's, you know, like I said last week, it's important to counterbalance that with some of the other things that I've read about the clinic and this article, and which is why I appreciated so much that Andrew himself sent this to me um, to share with the audience, because, um, yeah, this is just such a dangerous area to wade into when you start paying out of pocket uh, for for medical treatments that are not available and uh, through insurance. And because oftentimes there's a reason for that, because they might not have been through the same scientific vetting as, you know, what is available through traditional, you know, medicine. But on the other hand, you know, someone like me will go years at a time where traditional medicine can't figure out anything to do, has nothing to offer, and you have to wait outside of that if you want to get any care at all. So it's such a catch-22, another one of those catch-22s that we find ourselves in as the chronically ill. So, you know, it's really important to look at all sides of these things and make your own best decisions based off of your body, your intuition. And yeah, I know those decisions can be so hard and I have made decisions that I regretted. You know, I talked about this in the first episode, but I spent a year and a half and um, so, so, so much money uh, seeing a naturopath who 
put a lot of big ideas in my head, none of which really panned out. And it was really traumatic for me. So yeah, these things are just so tough. And I'm so protective of the listeners of this show. Um, so that's why I just wanted to bring this up again and bring up this article since a couple of people sent it to me so that you would have a place to start if you wanted to do a little bit more reading about what we talked about last week. This show is made possible through the support of our listeners on Patreon. As I'm always telling you, I am hopeful that I can turn this podcast into a career, and the support I'm receiving on Patreon is a huge step in that direction. Special, special thank you to our Patreon producers, the three of you who have signed up at the highest tier of support to help keep this show going, Chris Fowler, Steve Cavanaugh, and Ensign Q. I really appreciate the support. And to everyone else who's supporting the show on Patreon, I really, really appreciate it. Next week, we will have our new bonus episode for you. Andy and I are now sitting down once a month to record a bonus episode uh, for the Patreon community. And there is a prompt if you'd like to submit your questions for what you'd like to hear Andy and I talk about. Uh, um, I'm sure we're going to talk about, you know, what we did for the holidays. And I want to talk about the Matrix Resurrections because, you know, new Matrix movie. And my my uh, sci-fi podcast history just screaming at me that I need to podcast about this, even if it's in a completely inappropriate venue. So we're going to do that because <laughs> Andy and I watched it together. Um, so I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. And in, again, if you'd like to submit a question, if you are part of our Patreon community, just look for the post that asks for the questions for our January bonus episode. And if you'd like to sign up to support the show on Patreon, you can do so for as little as $2 per month at patreon.com slash major pain podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you listen to. And you can check us out on our social media platforms. We are on Instagram and TikTok at Major Pain Podcast. And with that, we're going to jump into our fantastic episode with Favor about Herb's Palsy. Favor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me it's a pleasure yeah i'm so excited to chat with you today uh i've just loved your your content on tiktok so much positivity and fun and it's so great to see you in person sort of <laughs> in real time yeah. i guess yeah in, in real time it's good to see you too this is quite exciting for me awesome well favor why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself okay so my name is favor i am 20 years old um I am a musician. I study music at the University of the West Indies. I'm, I'm from Trinidad and Tobago, um, Trinidad specifically. Um, what else can I say about myself? I love art. I love doing art. I'm not as good as it with music, good at it with music, but um, because music, like music used to be my hobby, but because I'm studying it now and I teach music, it's work. So art is kind of like my hobby now and music is mm. work, so. Gotcha. Yeah. What's uh what's your instrument? Um I play I play steel pan guitar, keyboard, bass guitar, trumpet, and I started learning ukulele, but I'm not that good yet. Oh but, wow. So yes. Very cool. Yeah. I yeah, I played trumpet in uh elementary school, high school and college. Um oh. and I love the steel pan. That's such a cool instrument. Very fun. Yeah. It's quite popular here. Well, it's originated here, so everybody and their mommy could play steel pan in Trinidad. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and now I play guitar and keyboard and sing and stuff. I I, I love being a multi-instrumentalist. Mm -hmm. I like to be able to, you know, like record stuff and put things together. And yeah, I love, I love music. It's so fun. Yeah, me too. Music is my life. Yeah, awesome. And I know that that 
uh, I, from your content, I know that that also impacts your, um, your major pain is impacted by, you know, your music and vice versa. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm excited to learn about that. So, Favor, what is your major pain? Okay, so I have herbs palsy, which is a brachial plexus injury. And your brachial plexus is a nerve, not too sure, not a doctor, but it's somewhere around your neck area into your, your spine, somewhere around there. Okay. Um, and so how that happens is when that nerve gets ripped up at it's um, usually, well, herbs palsy specifically is a base injury, but you could have brachial plexus injuries anytime throughout life. Um, it's some, for some people, it gets stretched, and for some, it just gets completely ripped apart, and that was the case with me. Mm. And um, it either doesn't heal back or doesn't heal back fully, and that's how herbs palsy happens. And it causes paralysis on the affected side, mostly your arm and the upper part of your chest. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So was, so this was an actual injury that caused this? Yeah, it was at birth. At birth. Wow. Yeah. So um, how it was explained to me was that um, usually babies, head, uh, their heads are wider than their shoulders. So they would just slide out easily. But my head and a lot of other people, they either breached or their shoulders are wider than their head. And so they get stuck and, well, in pulling them out, that injury occurs. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, so this has been your entire life. This is from, from the moment you were born. <laughs> until yeah. now so how, yeah. how does this affect you now can you talk me through what the symptoms are of this in the present day so to, for me i um i've never met anyone else with oops palsy except for this one girl when i had surgery um a social worker organized for us to meet up so yes apart from that i've never met anyone else with oops palsy but i see a lot of people on social media but it's not really a good place to gauge how exactly it affects them so um for me i'm not sure because i have other health issues and i'm not sure how much of it is related to herbs palsy and how much of it is something else and even um the doctors here in trinidad they don't really know much about herbs palsy i had to go to canada for treatments when i was younger so it's for me it's really weird but the the things that i experience whether it's from herbs palsy or from other things well paralysis is definitely herbs palsy so i don't have as much movement in my right arm as um, as I should. It's closer to paralyzed than it is to a weakened arm. I have um, mostly all my movements in my fingers. I just have to think a lot about it. Hmm. Um, my wrist, maybe 50%. Um, my elbow, could, well, your elbow is just bend and straighten. It doesn't straighten all the way, but it bends all the way. And then my shoulder is a whole other story. So that's, that's where it's the worst impacted. Um, I have scoliosis, which may be as a result, but I'm not sure. And a lot of the muscles on the right side of my back and my chest doesn't work at all or doesn't work properly. Um, I have pain all the time, like chronic pain all the time. Um, that started after I had surgery when I was 11. I never had pain before that. And then after that, that's when I started having pain. I would get pain um, in my neck, in my back, in my shoulder, on my ch- my, the right side of my chest. That's the, the affected side. Um, all over. And sometimes I even get pain in my leg. I don't know if that is as a result of something else or if it's 
um, it was palsy, but I also have a lot of pain in, in my legs sometimes. So lots of pain as that's another, um, wow. another pain. Yeah. Yeah. So that pain started after your surgery when you were 11. Yeah. Wow. I had surgery when I was 11 in Canada and, um, I was told that I would, I would have pain after, um, in my arm, but I started having pain like the entire right side of my body from wow. the neck down. That's frustrating. Wow. Man, I have a lot yeah. of questions. <laughs> um, yeah, I've never, I've never even heard of herbs palsy before. So this is fascinating. Uh, I really yeah, appreciate you sharing. Um, yeah. Herbs palsy is, I wouldn't say it's rare, but from what I've seen on the internet, one in every 1,000 people are born with it. And of course, not all the 1,000 people would have it to the extent that I have it. A lot of people own it results during infant, infanthood. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't, you wouldn't really know about it like that. So, yeah. yeah. So how did you feel about this growing up as a child? I mean, you mentioned needing to fly to Canada for medical care. Um, what was this like for you growing up in Trinidad, having this, uh, this issue that no one else around you had? Yeah. So for me, um, I'm very grateful for the family that I grew up in. Um, my parents, they would take me, I've had physiotherapy all the time. And I mean, everybody was kind of just playing it by air. Um, but I was in physiotherapy from the time I was like two weeks old until, um, maybe age five, I think. And then after that, I would just have, um, at home physiotherapy. Um, and I was told that there was nothing that could be done about it, that there was no surgery or anything like that. I just had to live with it. Um, but when I was six, my mom, that was when we had just gotten internet and she started looking around um, the internet about it, seeing if she could find more information. And she found out that there was um, a surgery that I could have to give me some more movement because the movement that I have now didn't have back then. It was. Mm. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it was it was a lot. I could have moved it, but it wasn't anything useful. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah. So, she found out about it, and at the time, I didn't really understand much about hospitals. So, um, I thought that you know, the minute you have to stay a night in a hospital, it means that you're probably going to die. So when she asked <laughs> me if I wanted to have surgery, I was like, nah. <laughs> not me no thank you um i think i i cried when she asked if i wanted to have surgery so she said okay and then um a couple years maybe two years later she got into an accident and i saw how well she got taken care of after that it was a terrible accident and it made me feel a little bit more comfortable hmm. about hospitals so after that, I say, you know, you remember you were asking me about it. And she said, yes. And I told her I wanted it. Um, at the time, too, I was getting a lot older. I didn't like having to have my parents help me with almost everything, have to help me dress in the morning, have to help me do almost everything. So it was it was starting to, to kind of bother me. I, as a child, I didn't really care. I was also getting bullied in school about mm. it because my arm would look different and, um, in Trinidad, there's something called finny, which is a derogatory term for like if you have a finny hand, it's it's like you have some kind of limb difference, well, mm. in your arm, and it's a it's not a good thing. And people used to call me that in primary school, and um, it, it started to bother me. So yeah. at that point, um, I wanted to do something about it, 
And that's how I ended up going to Canada. It was super expensive also. And um, that was another struggle, getting raising funds to get there. But I got to go. And that was um, that was a, a very pivotal point in my life, being able to, to go and, and get care and have doctors actually know what it is and be able that was the first time it was really explained to me what had happened because wow. i used to when people ask me what happened to my hand before that i used to make up the weirdest stories <laughs> like <laughs> um, my mom when she was pregnant um she was sweeping the house and the broom hit her belly and it damaged my hand all <laughs> kinds of weird stories used to come up when i was a child and after that i actually knew what it was so that that was a, a great experience for me i don't really have any regrets at all wow yeah that's so amazing so you'd have this surgery and it gives you all of this mobility that you'd never had before it sounds like um yeah. wow but then it also leaves leaves you with chronic pain so like what yeah. a trade-off there um to me i like i said i have no regrets for one i really valued that experience i think if i never went there i would have never known as much as i know now maybe i would have gone on the internet and found found some information and stuff but i know a lot of things specific to my case because of that so mm. i wouldn't have been been able to do that if it wasn't for that experience so i'm grateful for that um the mobility that i have now because i've always wanted to play instruments from the time i was i knew what music was um and I would not have been able to do it if I didn't have that surgery, if I don't have the mobility that I have now. And that's something that really is important to me. Yeah. So I'm really, really thankful for that. And the pain is a struggle, but it's not something that I feel like, yes, it limits me, but it, it's not a, it's not like this major issue. It's something that I can deal with. It's, yes, it's a lot of pain, but it's, it's something I can deal with. Yeah, totally. I think I've gained more than than just pain from that surgery. Yeah, it absolutely sounds like it, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, tell me about coming back from Canada when you're 11, you've had this surgery. What was the recovery like? And then what was it like to, you know, get some of your mobility back? How long did that process take? And what was it like going back to school? I'm so curious about all this. Yeah, um, so for me, going back to school was okay let me start from from after when i was still in canada still recovering my yeah, mom yeah. wasn't i was in this um uh it, it was a cast that went all around my torso and then came out and my arm was sticking out on the other i can't do it with my but this is my left hand right so <laughs> yeah oh it's a podcast right yeah. so my arm is <laughs> i can see you i forgot for a second no one else can yeah <laughs> yeah so so my arm was sticking out to the side um yeah. and um, it was quite weird, but in Canada, it, it caused a lot of issues with sleeping and stuff. But in Canada, I've realized it's a, a lot more accessible than in Trinidad. So I had mm. absolutely no issue um, with that giant cast. It was even cause it was, it had nothing to do with my legs, but because it was just this big thing that I have to walk around with, it was just causing so many <laughs> different issues. Yeah. But um, it was more fun for me at the time. And, you know, people will see me and ask about it. And I had no problem explaining. I was super excited. What was especially exciting is that even in the cast, I had so much more movement in my arm. Like, 
Wow. I woke up from surgery. My arm is in this cast and I can still move it more than I can move it wow. before. That's so crazy. it was super exciting. Yeah. And then when I came back home, um, the doctors, they had to, in Trinidad, had to liaise with the surgeons in Canada because they didn't, didn't know anything um, about my case. So that was interesting. It was so exciting for me to be able to do things. I had learned how to write just for write, learning how to write sick because I could write with my left hand, but it's like, you know, I could, so why not? And I was just doing a whole lot of stuff when I finally was able, when I had enough movement to play guitar. Well, whew, that was... Mm. I was heavenly. I I was really excited about that. So it was super exciting. Even thinking about it now, it was such an exciting experience. Um, Even then I was dealing with a lot of pain. I was like, I kind of overnight, you know, one morning you didn't have pain and then you wake up after surgery in pain and it never left. But it wasn't bothering me. I didn't really care about that because I could do all of the things that I dreamt of doing. Yeah. So for me, it was, it was really, exciting and recovery um but one thing though is i've realized because the girl that i met in canada um who had oops palsy as well it was a good few years after and she was still in clinic and like uh, two years after they they discharged me from the clinic here in trinidad and i thought that was weird but i was like okay they are the doctors i trust them um but I'm, I'm thinking now in hindsight, that was probably because they didn't know what else to do. I was making so much progress. It was, you know, what more could we do for her? But I feel as though I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. But I suspect that maybe I should not have left clinic so fast and maybe I would be in less pain now. Mm, yeah. What, was, what can you tell me about the actual surgery? Like, what, what is it that they did? Um, whew, that surgery, it blows my mind. I, I'm not too sure. Um, so I think it, there was some nerve grafting and some muscle grafting that was done. The, my shoulder was not in its socket. So they had to construct out of my bone a, a socket and, and put it in there. I think that, that was what they did. It was wow. an eight hour surgery. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. That's even possible. Yeah, I remember I, I was explaining to my boyfriend the other day. Um, every so often it would come up like the talk of the surgery and I would be like, Oh, by the way, like this muscle actually used to be here. So like they would take <laughs> one from the back and plate and and my arm and, and all sorts of craziness happened. I was quite confused when they explained it to me. Yeah. Well, you were eleven too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and that's crazy because at this point in your life you've basically lived half of your life without before this surgery and then half of your life with the surgery. So mm-hmm. you, you've had this extra mobility for half of your life, but it's still less than a normal person's, uh, well, quote unquote, normal, you know, no yeah. one's normal, but <laughs> an able-bodied person. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so you've, but, but you're so grateful for the mobility you have. It's very apparent that, you know, it was such a big deal to you. Even with the cast on, you could feel that you had this movement that you'd never had before. And there's something yeah. really beautiful about that, how you appreciate what you have, you know, because it is, it's better than what you had before. Whereas a lot of people will be born with just normal movement and not appreciate it, you know? <laughs> Does that bother you? Yeah. Do you think about that? Do you get mad at other um, people? <laughs> I, I do, but I have to understand too that they don't they don't know they've never not had it. Yeah. So 
I, I can't, I don't really, I remind myself that you can't get mad at people for that because they don't know what it's like otherwise. And whatever they're complaining about, that's the worst it's gotten for them. So to them, it is bad. So I can say, well, they complain that like somebody would complain, oh, this hairstyle hard to do. I can't do that. I'm thinking to myself, I just comb my hair for myself. What is your problem? But then I have to remember, they don't know anything else. So if something is what I would consider consider a mild inconvenience to them, that is a big thing. And I just have to have understanding. Yeah. You know, there there is so much commonality in any sort of chronic illness. And I think one of the big things is learning to appreciate what you have, you know? Like, I, I know that before I had chronic pain and, you know, weird, all the weird issues that I have, I, I didn't appreciate the people in my life as much. I didn't appreciate, you know, the love that I had and the things that brought me joy. You know, all the things that make me feel good are so much more valuable when you don't feel good, you know, regularly. Having, yeah. th- having things that can help is just so much, there's so much value in that. And it, it's like so much joy can be found in things that you wouldn't have appreciated otherwise. And that, that's just something that you kind of have to live with to learn you know it's like what part of why i do this podcast is i'm hoping that people can learn about that without having to live through it because you know it it's hard to live through but but it is it is like one of the one of the benefits of of being in chronic pain or having chronic illness or being born with something that limits you in any way is that you you learn to appreciate things in a different way yeah and i that's another reason why i don't i don't really feel um sorry for myself when I tell people about it and they're like, oh, I feel so sorry for you. It's like, I am very certain that I am happier than most people. I would have conversations <laughs> with people who don't have any physical issues and they'll be complaining about things that seem so futile to me. It's like, that's small thing in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, am, I am honestly grateful for the experiences that I have had and continue to have because of Luke Spolsky. Absolutely. I love that. So I know that you're just one person and, you know, neither of us are medical professionals, but I'm, I'm curious, you've talked a little bit about the the medical system in Trinidad and I'm just curious, how would you, how would you um, generalize, you know, what is it like? You know, I've never been to Trinidad. I live here in America and we have a lot of problems in our medical system with like doctors, not believing people when they say that they're in chronic pain, you know, medical gaslighting um sort of a thing you know problems with insurance denying other people things like i'm having a hard time getting certain medications right now but we also have you know like some really amazing doctors and it's it's we have both here you know we have both sides of it going on where i have you know my primary care doctor is incredible and he's really like working to knock down doors for me. And I live in Seattle by the University of Washington, which is a teaching hospital where a lot of research is being done. So there's exciting new things coming out of that. So the medical system here is like, you know, it's really, really hard to navigate and it's got some huge holes in it, but there's also some wonderful things about it. How would you generalize the medical system in Trinidad? So every time I hear somebody from the States talk about the problems with insurance, it blows my mind because so I I just find it so wild <laughs> that people have to struggle so much to get basic care. Um, here in Trinidad, healthcare is free. Mm. Um, 
even like I know in other countries, healthcare is free, but it's coming out of their taxes. It comes out of our tax as well, but it's like the tax so low, it's basically free. Wow. Um, yeah. And hopefully we could have that for much longer. But so that in terms of money, that isn't an issue unless we have to go abroad. She got to fly to Canada for surgery. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's the only time money becomes an issue. Yeah. Um, but of course, if you have money, then you would get better care because you could pay for better things. But uh, if you don't have money, you could still get pretty good health care here in Trinidad. Um, wow. Yeah. But as far as what is available, that's where it becomes limited. Hmm. Um, so... A lot of people you would hear having to fly abroad for care for different things because not available in Trinidad. So when it comes to the resources we have, it's a lot less. But when it comes to money, we we get whatever is available, it's available to everyone. Wow. Um, but in terms of, um, you were talking about medical gaslighting and stuff. I think when it comes to as far as the things that an individual could fix like a doctor can change the insurance company but a doctor could change the way that they address their patients and how they they treat them um it's the same here um mm. medical gaslighting same thing i remember um i was complaining about having back pain for a really really long time and like i wouldn't i would just call it back pain but when i describe it it's a lot more than back pain that's just like the biggest area so i would just say you know my back and it, it's it's it starts and then radiates throughout the rest of my body. And I would talk to the doctors about it and they'll just be like, ah, <laughs> take two Panadol. That's a, a thing in Trinidad. Everybody just talk about how doctors just prescribe Panadol for everything. There was a, a viral TikTok in Trinidad. Um, if you're making baby, they're giving you Panadol. Or it's, it's just like <laughs> everything is, is Panadol. That's like the, the, the a thing in Trinidad. So they don't really take you seriously here. They would just prescribe Panadol, um, which you can just go and get over the counter if you want it. If I thought wow. Pan if Panadol would work, I would not spend all this time to come here to talk to you, to, to pull out my heart and soul for you to give me Panadol. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was curious. I just looked this up and Panadol, uh, we call it Tylenol here. It's uh, acetaminophen. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that is very common here as well. Um, Tylenol. As, as Tylenol yeah. or just acetaminophen. Um, yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's so frustrating, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, love, I, I love that you have free, basically free healthcare and you have all this access. Um, that's amazing. It sounds like we have sort of opposite issues where um, like you have all this access, but what you have access to is, is not as broad. Whereas mm -hmm. like we have so much that you could access, but the access is really hard to get to. Uh, there's all these barriers put in the way. So it sounds like we sort of have that opposite problem, but it's so frustrating that we share this problem of medical gaslighting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it's just, I don't know. I, 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 I struggle with that so much. It's like, I, so many people are just afraid to go to doctors and tell them that they're in pain because they're worried that the doctor won't believe them or accuse them of, you know, drug seeking behavior or whatever it is. It's just like, why, why is that so common? And not, you know, not just in this country, but in, in other countries as well. It's, it's so frustrating. 
Yeah, it, it really is. And I've I realized that is a very, very, very common problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the 10 years since 10 years ish since your surgery. Um, was it was it a thing where like this this mobility was just turned on like a light switch and it's been the same ever since? Or has it has it changed? Has it grown since then? Um, it's grown. It grew for like the first five years. So that was really exciting. And then um, it started to slow down a little bit. And um, no, I think my pain has increased since and mm. I'm trying to to get help with that because I don't, I don't want to be in more pain because then I would lose um, the mobility that I have. I mean, I would sure. still have it, but the amount of, I can't really use it because of how much pain hurts. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that's something that I'm trying to deal with. And again, I've been waiting for a year now to see a specialist about it. Wow. Um, yeah. But it's been more than a year because I've been going to the doctor and saying, Hey, I'm experiencing this pain. I don't think that this is the pain that I should be experiencing. Is there anything we can do about it? I take a Panadol. And then <laughs> after, after a couple of years, um, they finally decided to do an X-ray and realized that I had really severe scoliosis. Mm. And so they were saying, well, maybe this is why you have the pain. Um, but you'll have to see a specialist. So now it's been, that was a year ago. So now I'm waiting to wow. see a specialist for a year now. Yeah. That's so frustrating. Yeah. I get so upset yeah. when I book appointments and it's like three or four months away, but you know, yeah, it could be worse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's rough. That's really, really frustrating. Wait, waiting, yeah. waiting for care is really frustrating. You know, it's really Especially hard. Because like when, when my doctor saw the x-ray, she was super, um, she seemed panicked about it. She was like, oh yeah, you need to deal with this urgently and you're 20. No, you really need to go. And then I, I go there and they're like, okay, well, we'll put you on the waiting list. We'll give you a call. And then a couple months passed and so hmm, this is weird. So I went back. This was about, about five months later and they say, oh, well, um, the waiting list is about six months to a year. So you have to wait. So I said, okay, no problem. I'll wait until the year mark comes and I will go back. And the year mark was last week so um i will be back there on monday yeah just knocking <laughs> knocking on doors until they let you in huh yeah <laughs> tell me more about your your chronic pain um so i'm getting a little twitchy this is my my major pain is acting up a little <laughs> <Yeah>. bit today <laughs> um so my chronic pain it's so i said it's it's constant it yeah. would, i would have bad days and i would have good days um so for me when it's really bad, I can't do anything. I just have to stay in bed all day, can't really get up, can't do anything. It hurts to breathe, everything just hits. But on a good day, um, I could really do, well, I would say everything, but as much as I've ever been able to do in my entire life, sure, yeah. um, I'd be able to do on a, on a good day. It doesn't really get in the way of anything when it's low. And it's it's been like, I've never, since the surgery, I've never experienced having no pain at all. Hmm. Um, so low to me is, is nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So. What, what are your uh, coping mechanisms? I mean, obviously Panadol. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't, I don't like to take Panadol. It makes me feel weird. I, I don't know. Hmm. It just, it doesn't agree with me for some reason. So I don't like taking Panadol. Um, my doctor has tried me with ibuprofen and a bunch of other painkillers, but they all just 
feel like Panadol when I take it. So I don't really do anything in terms of medication mm-hmm. for um for the pain. I would just and it doesn't really it doesn't really help that much. Like I would take it and then I would it would just lessen it just a little bit, but I still can't do anything because I'm not feeling good. Like I feel so disoriented. I can't really um focus on anything. It just feels weird. So mm. I um I really just lie, lie in my bed and wait it out, really. Yeah. So what yeah. do you do when you lie? You know, I have a lot of time where I have to lie in bed and, <laughs> you know, wait out chronic pain or functionality issues. And I, you know, I love listening to podcasts, watching TV, playing video games. Those things have become much more important to me because they become uh, sort of like crutches that I can lean on. And we've talked yeah. a lot on this podcast about distraction therapy, about how like getting your mind out of your body can really mm-hmm. help you to ride out these horrible um, periods. Do you have anything like that? Yeah, for me, for for one, um, I'm a Christian, and um, spending time with God helps me a lot mm. um, in those moments. Even in good moments, it just makes it even better. But in those moments, it really helps um, me to forget about the pain and to think about all the good things that I do have. Yeah, um, I spend a lot of time on TikTok, on YouTube, <laughs> Instagram. Um, what else do I do? Well, I can't really do music. It depends on how bad it is. I may be able to maybe play some guitar, sing a, a little. Um, I would do art, stuff, painting or drawing or something, depending on how bad it is. Sometimes I won't be able to do that. Sometimes it's too bad to even be on the phone and I would just probably call a friend and just chat or talk to my sisters or something. But um, when it's not as bad as I can do that, I love doing music and art and and. Just anything creative, honestly. I would yeah. write um, spoken with and, and things like that. Awesome. awesome. Tell me about getting into music. You know, you've got this functionality now with your after your surgery, and you finally get to pursue this dream of doing music. But I'm assuming that it's, you know, uh, that that's not a straight line. You know, it's uh, like I, yeah. I make so much less music now than I used to. Like I, I used to play in several bands and play live shows and do recording all the time. And I'm doing almost none of that at this point because it's really hard for my mind and my body. So I've leaned on other things. Um, and it's something I always want to get back to, you know, but it's, it's music is, is a, a very physical creative medium. It requires like your entire body, you know? Yeah. 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 So tell, tell so, me about your musical journey and how, how it's been impacted by, by your health issues. Yeah. So when I started, when I first started at, at the very beginning, like about I, I, like two years after I had surgery, that was when I had enough movement to play guitar. And that was my first instrument. And I was way too ambitious about it. Um, <laughs> when I started playing guitar, I would practice day and night. And, you know, and anytime I had a free period, I would go if in school. I would carry my guitar to school every day so that I could practice during break time and during lunchtime. I just, I was in it all the time. And um, that was, it was fun at the time, but after I was finished practicing for the entire day, there was nothing else that I could do. Like I would just have to practice and that was it. I would be in too much pain to focus in classes and stuff, but it was fine because I was playing guitar. Mm. And, um, I started playing piano a couple of years after that, and that was that was pretty fun. But I didn't have a, a piano for myself, so I would practice in school. I would go in the music room 
and practice. So I didn't get as much practice there. And then um, I started playing, no, I started playing steel pan before I started playing piano. Um, so that one, that one was the hardest one because steel pan, you have to, um, you have to stand for a long time if you're playing steel pan. You can't really sit and play and then you have to bend over mm -hmm. um, the instrument just a little bit. So that was really, really painful. So from mm -hmm. the time I started steel pan, it was difficult for me. But guitar um, and piano, that was super fun for the first couple of years. Um, and then after I got a piano of my own, my I got it for Christmas from a, my father. Um, I was practicing day and night, just like guitar. And I started to have a lot of problems with my wrist because I have to force my arm to play the things that I wanted to play. Like I can't just, it's not like with my left hand, I can just play it. I have to really, really try. Mm. Or sometimes um, with black keys, it's really hard for me to, to reach them with my fingers. So it takes a lot of work and I was starting to get a lot of pain from it. Um, and after that, I damaged my wrist from playing piano and I couldn't play for a good couple of months. I couldn't play anything for a good few months. And that was a wake up call to me because I realized I can't just push myself because I could say, well, well, if I'm playing this all day, I just wouldn't do anything else with my <laughs> life. But then I realized if I'm doing that, I probably wouldn't even be able to play in the future. So I really need to, to manage how much I play. And it was stressful for me because I kept feeling like, I mean, I don't have a lot of movement in my hands. So if I want to play as well as people who have full control over all the muscles in their arm, I would have to practice more. But here I am not being able to practice as much as I want to, maybe even less than most people could practice. Mm. So it, it, I had kind of like an identity crisis at that point. I really did regret um, doing the surgery because it was like, you know, maybe I just wouldn't have to deal with this at all. Mm. Um, it was it was really a tough time for me. That was in early 2019. And um, it was it was real. It was just not a good time until I, I started to really get into other aspects of music. At that point, I was still learning music. So I was doing music theory still. And I realized, hey, I love music theory. And I was, I've been teaching music from the time I started playing because I was doing music theory before I started playing instruments. Um, so I started teaching music about a year after I started playing guitar and I fell in love with teaching. And I realized like, you know, there are so many things that I understand about music. And even though I can't do it, I can still explain as well. So teaching is still fun for me. So I got into that and then I started composing and arranging music and um, that, that was really fun as well. And I realized, well, maybe I don't need to be this so great performer, mm. but I could do all these other things that music, that, that relates to music. And um, I got really into all of those things. So I still play instruments and I still want to learn how to play them. But I've come to terms with the fact that I have limits and it's okay. So yeah. I would try and expand my knowledge. And if there's something that I cannot do, I still look at videos and talk to people who could do it, find out how to do it, how to explain it, how it's supposed to sound, how it's supposed to look when you do it so that I could, and I would try to do it with my left hand alone or something so that I could be able to explain it. 
So I can teach people to play a lot better than I could actually play hmm. myself. But um, I can't play as much as one would think I can because I, I'm a music major and I've been playing for about seven years now, yeah. eight years now. Yeah, that's so that's so interesting because I, I was a music major as well. Um, and I went to Seneca State and got my uh, Bachelor of Arts in Music. And I did some composing as well. And uh, I, I know firsthand the, the pressure to be the best at your instrument, you know? Yeah. Like if you play an instrument in school, they are, the teachers are all pitting you against each other. <laughs> you know, you're like competing to, to be the first chair. Like I played trumpet in wind symphony. So it's like, you know, you would, you would basically have auditions once a year to see who was the best. And then you'd, yeah. be, you'd be ordered. Uh, you'd sit in order based off of how good the teachers thought you were. Oh, so, wow. Well, yeah. We don't have that at my, at my university. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of pressure to, to be the best, to, like, practice the most, to make the most progress. Um, it, it's a it's a intense environment, you know, studying yeah. music. It, it, um, when I started, I had steel pan as my primary instrument. And um, I switched afterwards because I realized that I, I can't practice enough, even though I, I looked at um, the level of music that I needed to pass each um each practical course and I was like, yeah, I can play that. But the amount of time it takes me to practice, I couldn't I couldn't do that within the space of a semester. So mm -hmm. I had to I had to um to switch to voice so that way mm. I could practice. I mean I s I'm still limited with voice because I have um restrictive lung disease and asthma. Um so it's still a struggle, but it's not as much of a struggle with um yeah. Oh, this is all so tough to to have this creative urge that uh, is limited in yeah. its expression by your own body. I, I live with that as well. You know, like in my apartment here in Seattle, I actually have um, my electronic drums set up and I haven't had a space big enough to set them up in years. You know, I used to like play shows where I would, you know, uh, like play electric drums with this band that a couple bands that I was in. So I finally got them set up here and I was so excited to be able to play more often. But in, in the time that I've lived here is also the time where I've started to need a wheelchair because I've had uh, issues with my leg mobility and a lot of pain if I try to push through that. So drumming has become a lot harder than it used to be, where it's really tough to get, particularly my right leg, to, to work the way I want it to. You know, drumming is like a full body activity. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I've... I've, I've tried drumming. That, that didn't work out at all. Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't played that much at all, you know, and I, I walk past this drum set. I live in a studio apartment, so it's, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just in one big room here, and I walk past the drum set, you know, dozens of times a day, and uh, I've started to, like think about it differently it's like man this is just this constant reminder that i'm not doing this thing that i want to do and it's really hard you know it's really hard to yeah. accept your body's limitations and i'm so impressed that you have the, the way that you've kind of contextualized it as a 20 year old is really impressive to say you know there is music i can still make it's just not going to look how i wanted it to but i can still do it and i'm still working mm -hmm. on that myself you know like i have a drum machine I just push a button and it drums for me. And I love yeah. it. You know, I love my drum exactly. machine. But I... Yeah, you, yeah. you have to understand your limits and, and yeah. maybe most of that. <laughs> exactly. Work within your limits. Like, honor what your body is telling you and get creative about how you approach the thing that is your creative outlet. You know, if you have a creative outlet, yeah. it means that you're a creative person. So why not get creative about how you approach it? There's always exactly. something new to try. Um, that's 
that's another thing too. For for me, um, using creativity not just to play it, but to figure out how to play it. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> with piano, there are some things that I can't play, but maybe if I change the fingering, I could play it. So my limitations they go a little bit past what they would be if I tried to play like I should. Like you know, people would say, "Oh, you play with bad technique," but it's not bad technique. It's just how I could play it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, totally. That, that's another thing. I have to figure out how to play the instruments in a way that is comfortable for me. Totally. You just reminded yeah. me when I was a kid, um, I played in the uh, the San Diego Youth Symphony and that rehearsed in Balboa Park in San Diego. So we'd go to the park once a week and like walk into where the rehearsals were. And there was this guy that would be there uh, there was often musicians at the park just, you know, playing outside and, you know, people would walk by and give them tips, um, uh, you know, <laughs> financial tips, not <laughs> musical tips. It's like, you know what, uh, maybe a more of a crescendo there. Um, <laughs> but there was this guy who, um, who had no arms and would play guitar with his feet. And he was playing guitar and singing and he was great. And I'd never seen anything like that in my whole life. And I remember when I was in elementary school, he actually came to my elementary school and like talked about, you know, finding a new way to play. And there, <laughs> I just think about, you know, being in music school, everyone is so up in arms about technique. You know, you have yeah. to play with the right technique. But here's this guy playing with his feet, which is, you know, <laughs> it's not the right technique, but it's, <laughs> but it, it's what works for him. And he's great yeah. at it, you know, and he's, he might be one of the best in the world at playing with his feet. And he was really, really talented. Um, and, you know, he's not going to play certain types of things that, you know, like he's not going to do any finger picking or anything like that, obviously. Right. Um, and he's, he's going to adjust the style that he plays to work with his body, but he was doing it and he was out there performing and he was, you know, really awesome. And just like also a really nice guy who I loved seeing every time I saw him in the park. So yeah, it's, I, I love what you're saying about, you know, finding the technique that works for you. And that's going to look different based off of, you know, different levels of ability and um, different levels of bodily function and working with that instead of fighting against it or instead of not doing it at all you know like you said yeah. that there's that instinct to like not do it at all because it's hard but yeah. you know it, it's so admirable that you're fighting through that and and finding what works for you so you can still follow your passions i love that mindset yeah and that's that's another thing too that i had to come to terms with um like you you, you spoke about the guy who had no arms and was playing with his legs um for me that's sort of um i don't know if it, it probably was even the same guy i remember seeing this guy on tv playing with his feet and i saw another guy playing piano with his feet hmm. and so many people with no arms playing with their feet and i thought to myself well i have an arm and a half why i, I um, <laughs> why am i getting so much trouble and, um, <laughs> so to me that that kind of messed me up for a little while because i'm thinking like something is wrong with me that mm. i have arms and i am saying oh i can't do this but then i i really as i got to learn more about music terry i realized yes they play but it doesn't mean that they could play anything still so because i could play some things with what i have and i could change my technique a bit so that i could play a little bit more then that is the same thing, really. I mean, I don't have to use my feet because I have hands, but it's, they can't do everything either. And it's okay that I can't do everything either. And even Absolutely. people who have 
both their arms working really good, they still can't play everything. Yeah. So it's it's important to to make peace with your limits. It's okay. Yes, ab- that's the that's exactly the point. Absolutely. Yeah. And some people have you know two hands and are horrible at guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and you know the older i get the more i shift my focus away from wanting to be the best at something to wanting to love what i do you know and yeah. to be to be my best at it you know yeah like i i want to make the best podcast i can this doesn't need to be the best podcast in the world like how do you even compare that that's ridiculous but <laughs> yeah. But I want to make my best version of this podcast because this is something that I love that is my new creative outlet that I've discovered uh, because of my health limitations, you know? And also, like, what you were saying at first about not ever having met anyone else with Herb's palsy, that's really tough, you know? Like, I, I hope that someone hears this podcast who has Herb's palsy and is like, oh my God, someone else has this thing and like i i feel less alone all of a sudden because of what you're doing today by sharing your story with us so i i actually feel like there's a very good chance that that will happen and i'm excited about that and maybe yeah maybe you'll connect with someone else who has herbs palsy through you know through because i always share our episodes on tiktok and instagram and i'll tag you in both for sure and you know you never know i mean the world is the world is a lot bigger than than what we see of it as individuals like we live in our cities and you know there's so much more going on out there that we're not aware of so you never know who's 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 out there um (laughs) speaking of other people though i'm curious how has your health journey affected your personal relationships you know you've mentioned your supportive family you've mentioned a boyfriend what's it been like for you uh you know navigating this chronic pain and and living with herbs palsy and then also developing these relationships um, so in my house, one of the thing that makes the biggest issue about is chores, um, <laughs> like the dishes and, and stuff. Because for me, for a long time, I would try to force myself because I want to contribute to what everyone else is doing. And uh, so I would force myself. And then afterwards, I would just not be able to do anything else for the rest of the day. And at one point, I realized this probably isn't the best way to go because I have other things to do. So I started to contribute just a little bit less just to see, you know, how everyone would take it. Hmm. And, of course, they started complaining. But that was <laughs> on me because I didn't say, well, I don't do it because it's too much pain for me. I would just not do it. And um, I, that really had me in a... In a uh, a funk because I kept feeling like, oh, well, I'm in pain. What am I supposed to do again? But nobody knew that. And when I started mm. to say, oh, well, I can't do it because it's painful. Then everyone started to understand and say, oh, well, okay, let's switch around your roster so that way when you can't do it, you do it. And if you can't do it, it's okay. Um, so that's something we're still working out, though. It's still sometimes an issue, but it's in, it's in the, the process of improving. Yeah. Um, as far as relationships, that's the only way that really affects me at home. As far as relationships go outside of um of my family, um, with friends and stuff for the longest time, like from like throughout the um secondary school. So when I was like seventeen and and under, between when I had surgery and okay, let me explain. So we go to we go to primary school. Then we switch to secondary school. And then after secondary school, we have um, 
well, we go to university. Mm -hmm. So I had the surgery just before secondary school. Um, and I went to a different secondary school from, we go to a different school. So nobody knew me there. So nobody knew of anything. When I was in primary school, it was very apparent. And then I had surgery and then I went to secondary school. So it wasn't really, it was new people. They didn't know anything. And I would tell them, oh, well, I had surgery um, last year. And it was just a conversation, but they couldn't really tell anything. And you can tell that my arm looks kind of different, but not enough to make it. Like a, It's not like a something that really registers in your brain. Some people may notice and ask about it, but they wouldn't know how big a deal it is because, I mean, I won't be doing as much in school. It's just, you know, your subjects. And so a lot of people didn't know throughout secondary school. Then I got to university now and I'm studying music. So it's becoming more apparent. Everybody is seeing it and, and knowing about it um, because I have, all these um, exemptions that I have because I can't do certain things and everybody's like, okay, I know what you, and I also wear a wrist brace now that I didn't have in, in secondary school because I damaged my wrist playing piano. Mm. So um, it's more of a thing now than it was before. And it's causing me to talk a lot about it even outside of school because it's just more of a thing now. Yeah. And um, when I talk to, friends about it some of them would say some really weird things um like i remember one time somebody said i must think that god hates me and i say well no i actually don't think that um i feel as though like i said i'm grateful for all of the experiences that i've had because of it and so for me it's not a it's not a curse so i don't think that god hates me because of that um uh I guess to somebody who doesn't believe in God, um, it might not make sense. But for, for me, it makes so much sense because I see it as a blessing. Mm. Um, and then um, with my boyfriend, I never had a boyfriend before him. And I never really um, tried to talk to anybody before this one guy. And he was, he was, whew, that was an experience. I remember he was a pianist and, I used to teach him steel pan and he used to help me out with piano because he was a lot better than I was. And he would show me something and I'd be like, oh, I can do it. Let me see how I could try and figure it out. And he was like, huh, you just pay your teachers extra, right? I was like, what? <laughs> no, like, it's, it's not that hard. And then he started, he was like, oh, teaching you is like teaching Stevie Wonder. How do you think that teach Stevie Wonder how to play piano? I was like, close your eye and try to play. And so he closed his eyes and he played just fine. He's like, oh, you can just feel for the keys. Exactly. So it's not that hard. It's the same thing. You just have to think about it differently. Mm. And, um, but he kept making comments like that. Like, what, what, how are you even living a life? And it's like, <laughs> it's not really that bad. So, um, that was one, one person. And for some reason, I just, I still liked him, but that relationship <laughs> didn't, didn't, um, work out. And then I met my current boyfriend and compared to that last guy, he seemed like an angel because he was so understanding and he, un like everything I explained, even if he didn't understand it in terms of like, how do you do that? He would just ask, how do you do it? And when I explained, he's like, oh, okay, cool. It wasn't like an issue to him. And I, even when we talk about um, 
about me being in pain, like some there are certain ways if we're we're hugging or something, it would be painful for me. And I would tell him I would feel like, you know, if I say, um, if he's holding my hand and I say, Oh, that's painful, let's um do it a different way or maybe hold his hand. I would think it's pausing mood. I'm like, I'm I'm well sorry. And he's like, No, if you're not comfortable, I want you to be comfortable. And to me it's like, Whoa, that's true. Hmm. Um, so so yeah, with um in terms of relationships, for me, I feel as though um knowing the guy before, I feel like it's not really that difficult um dating for me. It's just that I know who are terrible people hmm. before I get into a relationship with them. <laughs> that's that's good advice for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah. It's just because I mean, even if I didn't have that problem, I feel like that would have caused issues otherwise. So it didn't. It's not really that I was the problem and that made it hard for me. I just saw his true colors a little bit earlier than I would have if I didn't yeah. have uh, partially paralyzed arm. Yeah, wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. Th- there's an interesting element of of needing to communicate to the world around you what's happening in your body when you have chronic pain and chronic challenges. You know, thinking about your family and chores, it's like you just stop doing them, um, and people might get upset. But if you explain why, then they understand. And that's something that took me years to learn. It's like. I assume that the world around me can see my pain radiating and off of me. I get upset about it when yeah. people don't. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just like, you, these, you must, like, my friends and family must know, like, I'm so different now than I was before. I'm in so much pain. They must see that. But sometimes they don't, you know, like, th- this is why we call it invisible illness. You know, chronic pain yeah. is, is oftentimes invisible. And when you, you know, and, and there's also, like, societal pressure to 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 hide your burdens um yeah so yeah so it, it becomes this weird thing where you have to learn how to open up about them in order for other people to understand you and your behavior because oftentimes people like think the worst of situations they think oh oh they don't want to hang out with me anymore because they keep canceling plans when in fact you have really high pain days and you can't go out that day or oh they're they're lazy all of a sudden they're not doing their chores it's like no it hurts too much you know um like we need to rebalance this because i i want to contribute but i can only do so within the limits of what my body's capable of so um yeah again i'm just so impressed that you've made these realizations as a 20 year old because it took me so much longer (laughs) yeah but it's still a struggle for me because even though i know this it takes a lot out of me to say, you know, hey, I'm in pain right now. Maybe I can't do this or say I, I can't come because I'm in pain. And then they're upset with me because I'm not coming or not doing this. And I'm upset with them because they don't know that yeah, I'm in pain. Then exactly. They yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a two-way street. You know, communication is so important around health, you know, and just in relationships in general, you know, communication is just so important because if you don't communicate, then you know, you never know what the other person is thinking. And sometimes you'll be shocked when you finally ask. Um, So this is sort of unrelated, but I'm curious, what is the COVID situation like in Trinidad? You know, we are about, I live in Seattle, we're about to get hit with the wave of Omicron. You know, we're seeing what's happening in New York and uh, Omicron is here in Washington state. We're all just kind of hunkering down and bracing for this next wave of COVID. But I'm curious, what, what is it like for you? Um, so we have a spike in cases right now that's um, bigger than, than any of the spikes we've had before. Um, but 
we're not doing any lockdowns or anything like that because the, econ- the economy can't afford another lockdown. Yeah, same so here. So everyone same is here. just going on about it. Um, the government is trying to push the vaccines, but a lot of people are quite hesitant or just totally anti-vax. Um, so that's another thing. Um, but yeah, we our beaches were closed for a long time and they're actually opening back the beaches. Um, well, they opened them back on Monday. Um, for from 5 a.m. to 12 noon. Um, so everyone is excited about it, but also kind of um, not too, too eager to go because of what the cases are looking like, you know. I feel like people are taking it more seriously now than we've ever taken it before. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, the new variant, we have, I think, I've heard of one case. I don't really follow up in, on the news too much because I don't want to have to deal with I will be safe, stay in my house, I ain't going nowhere. I'm good. Um, but uh, I believe we have, I heard of one case of it. I don't know if there's any others. Hmm. But um, yeah, that's, that's also a concern right now here. Yeah, you know, it's so fascinating to be living through a global event like this, where it doesn't matter who you are in the world, you've heard of COVID, you know? Yeah. Um, it doesn't yeah, like like what's the percentage of the world's population that's been vaccinated it's a, it's an staggering number of people that have been vaccinated for a disease that didn't exist a couple of years ago it's just yeah. mind blowing you know it's like it's a it's a commonality of experience that we're all sharing and we're all yeah. hum, human you know like we all live on this planet and that makes us you know in some ways that makes us one community and yeah. when there's a public health threat to the entire community of the entire world, it really shows you that we are one people in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is really, really um, interesting. I, I think it's, it's good that you recognize that it's, it shows that it's one people. I think for some people, they still um, look for ways to divide themselves. I know. It's, it's, it really it makes me sad for you, but it's good that there are people that recognize, hey, all um in Trinidad we'll say all we is one family. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, like I'm a I'm a lifelong Star Trek nerd. I loved science fiction and <laughs> Star Trek there's all this talk about how, you know, in the future humanity learns to come together and recognize that we are, you know, one people and uh and in in the fictional land of Star Trek it takes like World War Three for us to get there, and I've just always wanted for our actual reality to to do it before then, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, to avoid that. Um, yeah. And I just wonder, you know, with the global nature of COVID, um, it's like it, in Star Trek, it's like discovering life on from another world that kind of brings humanity together. Like that's the global event. It's like, wow, we aren't alone in the universe. We need to, you know, come together, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I'm just hoping that COVID can do that for us, you know? Uh, who knows? Like, I'm an optimist, but I, and I know that COVID has become yet another thing that people have divided themselves over, um, which is hard, but you never know. I mean, I, I'm just always hoping that, you know, as someone with a chronic illness who sees the good that can come out of it, I, the world is sick right now. Like, there is a new yeah. chronic illness for the whole world, and you never know what good is going to come out of it. And I, I like to think about that. So, yeah, yeah we'll that's, see. that's a very good outlook on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, or I'm lying to myself. Who knows? But it, help, it, it helps me relax. So <laughs> so my last question for you, um, mm-hmm. 
if you were to be able to address someone listening to the podcast with Herb's Palsy right now, you know, you haven't had this opportunity to sit down and talk to someone else with your disease. What would you want to say to someone if you could talk to them? I would tell them to message me, please. I would really love to meet you. <laughs> yeah. um, but outside of that, I would say to them um, that for one, you're not alone in the world and there are others. Um, and it might be difficult to do certain things, but always remember, always think about the things that you've gained from it and all of the good things that you have, because there will always be, um, this, I follow, um, I'm a robot. It's on TikTok. And she said something that I really love. And she said it's on this podcast as well. Yeah. Maya. Um, when she yeah. was here. Yeah. She said, um, pain is inevitable, but suffering. What, what is it boy? I can't remember. It's not mine, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah. but like pain is inevitable. Um, suffering is optional. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, suffering is optional. Yeah, yeah. That sh- I love that. Um, so I would say if you have a response, you or any other um, chronic illness or disability, that it doesn't have to make you feel sorry for yourself. And it's okay to feel sorry for yourself, but on the days when you feel good, let yourself feel good. If you feel mm. bad, feel bad. But when you feel good, don't try to make yourself feel bad be happy about the good thing that is going on in the moment absolutely beautiful words um (laughs) you've done a really incredible job today this has been a fantastic conversation so such an incredible um point of view that you've shared you know so valuable for anyone going through anything hard you know the the way that you look at at your own life and your own journey is is just so positive and that's what I've loved about your TikTok. That's a big part of why I wanted to talk to you on the show is because you just, you know, your your positivity positivity is infectious and I really appreciate it. And you're a really um, impressive young woman and, and so intelligent. And yeah, I just, I, I really ad- admire your story and, and everything you've shared with us today. So thank you so much. Um, I would love for you to share your social media if there's anything you want to plug, if you want to offer any way for people to find you, please feel free. Okay. So, um, thank you by the, by the way, you boosted <laughs> my confidence there. Um, so on TikTok, I am favors dot story. So F A V O R S dot S D O R Y. And, um, on Instagram, I am four underscore two, six favor four underscore four music. That's all I'll allow difficult i can't even remember it myself so four <laughs> underscore two sex favor four underscore music awesome and like i said i'll tag you on both tiktok and instagram if uh people follow uh the show um we're at major pain podcast on both tiktok and instagram and i will tag you there if people want to come find you thank you Awesome. Well, Favor, I really appreciate your time today. Like I said, you did a really incredible job. I'm so excited to share your story. Um, I just, you know, this type of story is why I love doing this podcast. And I I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I was very excited when you reached out. I was like, what? (laughs) Me? (laughs) Oh, well, I'm I'm so glad I did. You did really awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. 
Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, and Brooke Walters Schmidt, and our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, and Ensign Q. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.